0: Yeah, Siffy is a new
1: kind of venereal disease. Siffy. D- did yep. you get Siffy? No, I got the shots. <laughs> Radio Drone. I'm sure you don't like spending Thursday nights with me, Josh Hadley, because then that means I have to spend Thursday nights with Cecil T. Robot. Yes. You're robotic, okay. (laughs) And I also have to spend time with the panty sniffer, Alex Jowski.
0: Smells good.
1: So, since it smells good, do the goddamn Adam and Eve promo.
0: Go to adamandeve.com, use the promo code DROME, you get 50% off a single item, free shipping within the United States, three free DVDs, and a free mystery gift. DROME at adamandeve.com.
1: Absolutely. Tonight's topic is going to be kind of a weird one. It's going to be kind of expansive, but also allows us to go off on tangents that are still somewhat connected. This all stemmed, why I wanted to do this topic, all stemmed off an article I read about Grizzly 2 you know, that never-released movie with Charlie Sheen and George Clooney and Laura Dern and John Rhys-Davies and blah, 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 blah. It was at the, I think it was the New York Post, they had a writer who was clearly under the age of 30 who not only bashed the very idea that a film like this would get made, but seemed genuinely shocked that the original Grizzly, made on a $750,000 budget, Made $39 million.
0: You are listening to the most massive carnivorous ground beast in the world. Over 2,000 pounds and 18 feet of gut crunching, man eating terror. By its size alone, it can overpower and devour any human. The deadliest jaws on land belong to Grizzly, rated PG, parental guidance suggested.
1: He seemed genuinely shocked that exploitation films used to be incredibly prolific. And that got me thinking, how has the exploitation film evolved? It used to be a film like Grizzly could have a $750,000 budget and make $39 million, and that wasn't weird. What happened to this younger generation that now sees an exploitation film as direct-to-video sci-fi channel dreck?
0: Well, the fact that it's just not marketable in theaters anymore because people expect theaters to have the big Hollywood movies. I mean, you get sometimes a little indie thing that could be exploitation. I'm sure Hobo with a Shotgun had to run in a theater or two somewhere. But mostly it's much easier to distribute it through streaming or on-demand services or direct-to-DVD and cable. It's a lot more profitable than trying to do it in a theater.
2: Yeah, a lot of the, the movies... It's just easier for them to go direct to video because something like Alex said with Hobo with a Shotgun or VHS or VHS 2 or any of those things, they might play in a couple of theaters here and there. But getting into a 3000 theater across the U.S. screenings, it's just it's not feasible because they know that the majority of the time they're not going to be able to fill audiences to go see that. So for whatever reason, the audiences, even though they might be really successful on home video, it's it's kind of a mix because it's like if you've got the number one rented thing on home video or whatever, it's not like getting the number one in the theaters. So it's, you know, hundreds
1: of millions versus a few million. But I'm I'm not talking about the profitability of the exploitation film yet. We'll, We'll get into that later. What I'm talking about right now is this writer and I've seen this again and again and again on DVD reviews of older films, they seem genuinely shocked that this, this was released theatrically? This made $40 million on an under-million-dollar budget? It seems like we've kind of lost the very ideal that an exploitation film can be released theatrically and not only be popular, but sell a ton of tickets. What is up with that mindset from the younger generation? Is it just, in their lifetime, exploitation has always been direct-to-cable, direct-to-DVD? Or is it that they are, in a way, snobbish that, like this writer at the New York Post that was like, Grizzly, made by some guy named William Girdler, made $39 million? Like I said, the tone of the article was, he was shocked that a film called grizzly that was essentially a jaws knockoff set with a bear could make money he's you know it was like he thought this kind of thing should be relegated to sci-fi and theatrical is for real films
2: yeah i think you're on with that i have a feeling that uh, a lot of uh, a lot of audiences in general especially younger audiences are just smug about something like that oh god I don't know who the director of this movie is. You know, it's not uh, Brett Ratner or somebody who I, you know, a name I recognize. You know, look at this. Uh, I'm not going to go see that. I'm going to go see Transformers 4 or something. So I think that there is probably a good deal of just turning their nose up at something that doesn't really fall into that mainstream slice that they're used to.
0: Yeah, I think it is, like Cecil just said, it doesn't fall into the mainstream thing like people expect it to. A writer that didn't grow up then has a hard time relating to the way things were then, that anything would show at a theater, that there was no home market then. So if something was going to be released, it was going to be released to a theater.
1: On that notion then, do you think something like 1977's Tentacles from Avodaito Asantis only had a half-million-dollar budget? was released theatrically, made, I think it was $25, $30 million theatrically. Do you think that if we're ma- if it were made today would be a sci-fi channel movie? Or do you think, to flip it on its head, if Sharknado had been made by Asantis in 1977 with John Huston and Shelley Winters and Bo Hopkins and whatnot, Peter Fonda, do you think that would have been as big of a hit? Or do you think, do you think there's a difference in the type? of exploitation being put out today, irregardless of its of its distribution?
0: No, I mean, of course the movies are different because times change. I don't think audiences would have bought in half the crap that's in Sharknado back in the 70s. You know, the spirit of Sharknado was present in plenty of other movies that were popular at the time. So it, it, I don't see a lot of change in it, actually.
2: I think that um, a a movie a movie like that being released now if it was put into theaters it wouldn't go over very well because it would it first of all the kiss of death anymore is that it would be rated r and for some reason that right there just people uh, will tentacles
1: was rated r it kills a baby in the first two minutes
2: well that's what i'm saying that if it would have to be rated r and you know and Audiences now the majority of the films that are the most successful are pg-13 which is really depressing and if you put it that's why the new expendables is going pg-13 because they fought tooth and nail to make sure that expendables 2 was rated r and then what happened expendables 2 did okay theatrically so they're like all right well now the studio was like, "Look, we told you you had to release a PG-13. So now Expendables 3 is going to be PG-13, even though it's not really a movie that should be PG-13." And then there'll probably be the unrated cut on video. Movies like that, they would have—if it was released now, it would not be as successful. And then going in reverse, something like Sharknado—it's eh, tough to say. I don't know. It might—it might have caught at the right time. And it's so goofy. There were a lot of goofy movies back then that ended up being very successful. So. Empire
1: of the that. Ants is one of the goofiest movies out
0: there, and it's still awesome. From H.G. Wells, history's most
1: credible prophet, now comes his most incredible story. Empire, Empire of the, of the ants. ants, a terrifying tale of civilization fighting for survival against armies of giant ants ten feet tall. To control the human population by drugging them into submission h.g wells empire of the ants rated pg parental guidance suggested they shall inherit the earth sooner than you think oh absolutely it's uh, got uh, not... giant ants use that use their pheromones to control humans to use them as slaves in their underground sugar mines I mean, come and on. It, How is that not both awesome and stupid simultaneously? And was,
2: what's her name? Uh, the, the chick from Di- was Dynasty?
1: Joan Collins is in that. Joan
2: yeah. Collins is in it for crying out loud. Joan Collins is in a giant ant movie. You know? No, I, believe me. I love ridiculous stuff. And I think that a lot of I would love to see some of this stuff in in theaters. I'm going to see the riff track Sharknado on Thursday. So I I, I you know, I think that. More stuff like that should be uh, released in the theaters. It's not, but
1: it would be cool if it was. Well, do you think that the number of screens should have affected things differently? For instance, back when Jaws came out, most cities... I mean, the multiplex was something that L.A. and New York were the only ones that have, and they were called grindhouses back then. They weren't called multiplexes. When Jaws came out, most places had a screen screen. I remember the the town I live in at the time was 1982. When we got our second screen was the first movie they showed on that was Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. That was a big deal that now you can show four movies in a night. Before that, it was you had one screen, and if you split up the 7 and 9 o'clock showings, you had two movies in a week. Shouldn't the evolution of the multiplex allowed... For more of these things, like the Empire films or the early Full Moon films, to be able to have played theatrically instead of the fact that they still got relegated to the dregs, where they just added extra screens for the blockbusters, did that kind of work disproportionate to how it should
0: have? That a lot of the theaters, you know, when they started doing the multiplexes, were owned by the studios, so they wanted more people to see their movies, so they're going to put it on more screens to make it more available. I don't think. It would have done as well, I mean, if they just kept showing more exploitation or rare stuff, because there were theaters for that as it was.
1: The aforementioned grindhouses.
0: And by that point, there was the home market for that kind of stuff anyway.
2: There's a, a theater nearby me that um, it is a multiplex. I believe they have 15 screens. The majority of them... They'll run the big movies. They'll run Captain America and whatnot. But if you head down the hallway, they actually have everything from a lot of the smaller indie films. And and I'm talking actual indie films. I'm not talking big budget studios that release these $10 million indie films. Bollywood productions. So it is kind of cool that that is available. I think that uh, it would be neat if more multiplexes did that, where they would have okay, well, we're going to take all of our big screens and run the major stuff, and then have some of the smaller, stu- you know, smaller screens have uh, a lot of the, the weird stuff, the stuff that, you know, would never run on the big screen. You know, you don't need to have a lot of these movies playing on four screens at a time. It's just, it's overkill. So I think that they could kind of branch out a little bit more. Granted, they're still not going to rake in the money, but it would just, I don't know, to me, it would make more sense and it would be a little bit more diverse in uh, people's theater going
1: habits. You've also got the, explo- the exploitation film kind of being co-opted by the majors in the 70s. When Roger, Roger Corman has this famous quote, which I don't have the quote in front of me, but the gist of what he said was, when he saw Jaws, he's like, shit, the big boys have finally caught on. He's like, Jaws was the kind of movie that I, as Corman, would have made on 20 times the budget that I had. That's when he realized that the exploitation movie was on its way out when it got co-opted by Warner Brothers and Universal and things like that, do you think the exploitation movie, at least in the public's mind, is different when it's released by a studio or when it's released by a Corman? So say Corman had made Jaws. Obviously it wouldn't have been the same movie. But say he made that same script. Do you think people don't, and I just mean your general person off the street, don't consider Jaws to be an exploitation movie, the same that they do Tentacles. Do you think that is part of, do you think that's part of this kind of snobbery that, oh, big budget films are not exploitation by definition?
0: No, I don't think, I think there is a bit of snobbery to say, for a studio to say, oh no, these aren't exploitation, or you know an audience to say if it's not exploitation, but really what determines it is the filmmaker's intent.
2: Absolutely. I think that um, a lot of that factors into it. If it comes out from a major studio, well, obviously it is a AAA production. If it comes out from a smaller studio or a name that is known for exploitation, well, obviously it ties in with exploitation. There was, I don't remember exactly how long ago, I think maybe about 10 years ago at this point, there was a movie called Hero with uh, Jet Li. Tarantino wanted to get as much recognition for this well he didn't want to get it for himself he wanted to get this movie seen and so he wanted to get it i don't know i
1: think he did want some of it for himself the banner above the title is quentin tarantino presents hero that's a, that's a bit of i want my recognition for doing this
2: that's not what it is he did that because the studio requested that they wouldn't release it unless they could release it under the Quentin Tarantino presents banner because they knew that he was a hot ticket and if they released it just as Jet Li in Hero it wouldn't have done that well but because they released it as Quentin Tarantino presents Hero people went and to go see it and there were people that did think that Tarantino directed it and it's it's a shame but that, that's kind of the, the, the trade off. It's like, OK, well, you did get it out there and audiences did see it. But now because the audience or because the studio decided to kind of play a little bit of dirty pool and trick people into seeing it, then they it's, it's like with uh, A Nightmare Before Christmas, you know, with the Tim Burton presents. It's like, no, Tim Burton did not direct this. This is a presents. But a lot of times people will take presents equating directed.
0: How many times have we gone over the fact that Tim Burton didn't direct Nightmare Before Christmas? Because people still think he did. I still see it pop up on the best Tim Burton movies. I'm like, you know, it's not actually a Tim Burton movie. Then do you think
1: as the exploitation film got bigger and bigger with with you know things like Jaws and Star Wars, which let's face it, they're exploitation films just on a big budget. Do you think that that the modern generation, and I'm gonna just say 25 and under, just they have no concept of the fact that Ghoulies and Ghoulies 2 made millions of dollars and played in a thousand screens, or or hell, the entire Empire catalog. If they look at that today, they're just gonna go. Oh, these always were direct. They were theatrical. What do you think that just in general, how things get released theatrically has changed so much that it's almost a night and day difference? Or do you think that we are just sort of the stragglers remembering the times when when a Charles Band Empire film could open on a thousand screens? Yeah, I think that uh, the majority of today's audiences
2: just will look at something uh, like any of the old full moon movies or any Corman production and just automatically assume that uh, this was something that either uh, went direct to cable or went direct to video. Like they they don't have any concept of the fact that a movie would be in theaters for years.
1: Like, there was a time where a movie would... Especially with the grindhouses. The grindhouses, you'd have films playing in first-run grindhouses three years. I remember 42nd Street Pete told me, remember The Howling came out in 1980. That was still playing in New York City grindhouses in 1983. (laughs) Yeah,
2: absolutely. They they don't... It's a combination of not knowing and not really caring.
0: Yeah, I do think it's a lot of the um, the not knowing that people didn't realize that there was no home market until you know in, well into the '80s. Theaters were the only way you were going to see any movie, good or bad.
1: What about along those same lines? Do you think that something like the Sci-Fi Channel Saturday Night Shit Fest Do you think that has changed what the newer generation thinks is an exploitation film? Because as Cecil pointed out in the Texas Chainsaw retrospective, how his wife thought The Exorcist was slow and boring, do you think that if there's not, especially in the creature feature nature attacks area, if there's not action every five to ten minutes, the audience is bored? Look at a movie like Frogs. Frogs is a fantastic film from 72.
2: When will man ever learn that when he pollutes the air and the water, he declares war against nature? American International Pictures presents Frogs, the story of the day nature
0: strikes back. See Frogs, in color, rated PG. Frogs, today the pond, tomorrow the world. It would be
1: straight out boring. To somebody raised on the sci fi channel creature features. Do you think that do you think that's more endemic of what sci fi channel and these direct to video crap fests have wrought? Or do you think that is just the attention span of the generation changes? Yes, I am totally in old man get off my lawn mode tonight. Deal with it.
0: You are totally in old man get off my lawn mode right now because yeah, that's times change. You know, the people are different this you know generation than they were last and just like people last generation were different than this current generation you know it's always there's always going to be changes and that's just how people are nowadays versus the way they were back then and a lot of it has to do with the fact that we have all this stuff on demand that we can watch whatever we want when we want to so if it's not going to catch our interest right away and hold it well we could always just hit a button watch something else versus you went to the theater you paid your money, and you were going to see that movie through to the end, whether you liked it or not, because you paid for it. Nowadays with streaming you know, and all the different variety of cable channels we have, you don't like what you're watching? Just hit a button. So they have to have all those action scenes and stuff in there to get people in faster. Well, that they are part of that. They want people to watch their movies and stay tuned into the sci-fi channel. So they're going to have those action scenes in there to grab your interest, to hold it. To keep you from just saying, eh, this is boring. I'm going to see what's on some other channel.
1: But then you've got that report that recently came out from the Sci-Fi Channel. They found out they shot themselves in the dick when it came to those Saturday night sh*t fests. No one's watching the Sci-Fi Channel any other night of the week. They're not retaining any of their audience. They've got the people that come for Sharknado and Mansquito, and that's it they are grabbing just a certain portion of the audience that one night of the week that they're not retaining properly or do you think they have sort of sullied their entire image with while bastardizing what exploitation is all for short-term gain
0: well i think i don't think they've bastardized what exploitation filmmaking is because what they're doing is exactly exploitation filmmaking they are exploiting at the interests of a demographic so it's you know, exploitation filmmaking. Um, I think they should take a look at those analytics they have about what people are watching and what they tune in for, and if they want that demographic, they should cater to it more. So people aren't tuning in for this. Well, they're tuning in for this, so let's do more of this.
1: Well, see, the way I look at it is they decided to alienate all of their sci-fi fan audience to get the everyman, and then they found out the everyman's only tuning in one day a week. Shit. What do we do now? We've already pissed off all the people who used to subsidize the channel who hate that Saturday night crap. Because in general, the analytics also found that the people who watch Battlestar Galactica and stuff like that on Sci-Fi are the people who tune out on Saturday nights. So you basically got six nights a week this channel is made for this audience, one night a week it's made for this, and they're finding this model does not work. I think that a lot
2: of bad decisions they've made over the years are going to just are gradually just piling up. Uh, the fact that they, they changed the, the name to, you know, S Y F Y. It's just. Like that. It's Sip, it, yeah, Siphy Siphy. Is a new
1: kind of venereal disease. Siffy. D- did yeah. you get Siffy? No, I got the shots
2: <laughs> there. They were trying too hard to capture the younger audience And the problem is, is that younger audience is fickle. Uh, so like you said the younger audience might tune in on Saturday to see Sharknado but then they're not going to tune in any other day of the week and meanwhile every other day of the week is when they had their their really big cool high profile shows they had Farscape they had Battlestar Galactica they had um, Invisible Man they had cool stuff and it was unique and it was original and there were a lot of sci-fi geeks that were tuning in and watching that stuff and buying the DVDs and, and, and it was cool and they I, I don't think that they put all their ducks in a basket or all their eggs in a basket. Rather, what the hell am I saying? Uh, I don't think Did, they put everything. ducks a big thing that go in baskets. I, I, I meant to say ducks in a row and eggs in a basket. And I kind of merged the two. And I don't
1: think that they don't they shoot
2: don't... all those eggs in a row. There you go. Uh, a, a duck in the bush is worth two in the hand or something.
1: And a monkey uh, in the barrel.
2: <laughs> I think that. um I think that the two can coexist, uh, the the having the intelligent shows and then having the dumb uh, Sharknado movies on the weekend, because honestly, I watched both. I, I, I think that it was more of the fact that they were getting away from what made them where they were. They were putting on wrestling and they were putting on just a lot of crap and, and people were tuning out because it's like, all right, well, you used to have Sharknado and all that. And that's fine. But you also had Battlestar Galactica. Now they don't. Now they just have heroes of cosplay and more reality shows that cost no money whatsoever. So why should I tune in to to this? I don't care. This doesn't uh, really—there's no narrative except for the one that they're trying to force forward. It's it's, just—it's attracting more of the wrong audience.
1: Well, do you think then that how—we've already dealt with the evolution of the slasher film— do you think the slasher film, being almost the purest form of exploitation film as far as I'm concerned, you two may disagree with that, do you think how that's evolved from stuff like brutal films like The Prowler to Prom Night being PG-13, do you think that is the natural progression of the slasher subgenre of exploitation film? Like, Alex, you said it was natural progression how the times change. Do you think that changed in the right way, or do you think that... In my opinion, it went backwards.
0: That's different. Um, the slasher genre doesn't necessarily have to be exploitation. I mean, there are lots of movies that could be considered slashers that aren't exploitation. As far as that subgenre of horror, did it go in the wrong direction? Well, where have people found you know the most creative success by doing them in R or PG-13? Whatever works for the movie is what's right. And yes, things change. And I think Scream had a big hand in... Shaping the, the slasher genre.
2: I think that a slasher film can be exploitation, but I don't think that by definition it is exploitation. The vast majority of PG thirteen slasher films are terrible. Not saying that they can't be good. There are a lot of them where they will water them down so much. Like you had mentioned, Prom Night. Prom Night was a abysmal they went so far out of their way to not show any kills that it was just like i'm like am i watching disney channel
1: like what the hell is this and it's ironic about prom night is that the original prom night was shot normally and they got a pg so the studio had to give them extra money to insert gore shots to get an r because they thought no one would go to a pg slasher film in 1980 exactly that's the irony of the prom night prom night thing
2: you know There's a special night in the lives of all of us. A night we can break all the rules
1: and make our own. Kelly, tonight
2: it's my
0: turn. Prom night. For some, it's the end of innocence. For others, it's the end. Prom night. If you're not back by midnight, you won't be coming home. Rated R.
2: Now showing at a theater or drive-in near you. Check your newspaper for showtime. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's completely backwards. And it is funny to show how much times have changed. How they used to try to appeal to adults who would go to the theater, but now they're so paranoid because you know kids can't get into the theater, so they'll water it down to PG-13 so that kids will get into the theater. And then they'll put out a garbage movie that uh, the kids end up just saying it sucks anyway. So it, it's just, it's irritating. I, I don't like It's one thing if you make the movie and it comes out and it's PG-13, fine, but if you're making an R-rated film and then you have to dial it back to get PG-13 rating just so you can appeal to the biggest audience, that just is a punch in the face to your fans, the people who really want to see your movie, and the people who are genuinely going to buy it and possibly make it into a franchise.
1: Well, on the opposite side of the slasher film, what about another pure form of exploitation, the porno film? Again, it is a completely alien concept to anyone under 25 or 30 that these things used to play theaters. And I'm not just talking dirty grindhouses. You know, you look at like the porno chic era. You'd get, the, you know, a middle class guy would get the wife all dressed up and you'd go out and see Deep Throat or behind the green door with a bunch of your friends at a theater that was also showing a Clint Eastwood film. I think it's just, like I said, it's an alien concept that porn has become become so engendered in in our culture as this dirty little thing, even in the age of the internet. Do you think that that's a weird progression, that porn got more underground as it got more popular? Or do you think that is sort of outside forces exerting pressure like the religious right and things like that?
0: Because they didn't grow up with it that way. You know what? I didn't grow up with porn being in a theater. I know it was. And I'm like, I still can't even conceive of why would you watch it in a theater? You know, I can completely see where they're coming from. They didn't grow up with it. So it is foreign.
2: Yeah, it's it's a weird idea because I, I can't. I can't possibly, uh, wrap, uh, going to the theater and watching porn on a big screen. And because for, for me, it's, it's always been the, the porn theaters that are in like, uh, New York where, uh, Pee Wee Herman got busted for jerking off. It, it's just like, like to me, that's what a, a porno theater would be. Some dingy, dismal place that's running, running something on a dirty screen and it's got sticky floors. Uh, that's hopefully from spilled soda. Uh, absolutely, from Spilled Soda. What else would it be? Uh, but wasn't Deep Throat like a
1: massive box office success? Deep Throat was a huge box office success. So was Behind the Green Door. There were a lot of porno chic movies. That's what this movement was called in the early '70s. They there was only like three or four porno titles that went so mainstream. You could see them in small-town theaters that did not have a porno theater. It became cool to go see Deep Throat. That concept, like I said, it's, it is it is so alien that I don't think the younger generation could ever conceive of the fact that you would do this or the fact that, that these movies were movies back then. That's the other big thing about porno when it comes to exploitation, that they were movies back then. I've seen reviews of when, like, Deep Throat 1 and 2 came out on a box set and whatnot together. I saw a DVD review and the guy's like, my God, would they just stop talking and start f***ing already? And I'm like, you're under 20, aren't you? You're used to, I just want the screwing. I don't want to know why they're screwing. Do you think that concept is
0: completely lost today? That is completely lost because things change. I mean, porn then had to have Actual story and plot resolution because of obscenity laws, but nowadays they don't need that, so why bother? And if that's the only porn you've seen, seeing a porn that's like got a plot and everything, that's going to be a pretty foreign concept.
2: It it is odd uh, because the the old porns used to have stories. Now a lot of the uh, newer vivid movies, like pirates and whatnot, they incorporated bigger stories and better special effects and tried to make them elevated above just you know hey let's fuck you know and get right into it but I think that what a lot of the younger generation now is they they find out a porn actress they like they go on Google and they look it up and immediately watch a scene of her getting banged and they don't want the story they don't want any of the lead-up they just want i here's a girl who I find attractive I want to see her having sex on film and it's kind of hard to argue with that because it's like, I, I, I know that porno was, was trying to incorporate a story and trying to be more than just sex on film. But for me, it's like I kind of enjoy having my movies as movies and porno as porno.
1: You don't want to lay there st- stuck to yourself and have to go, well, so are they going to get married or not? Yeah. Do you think the exploitation film has actually gotten more exploitive? Over the time or less? When you've got something like Child Bride, I don't buy the whole this is supposed to go against and speak against child briding because when you look at the film, the, the director is clearly reveling in it. Do you think that not counting the levels of gore and tits, okay, I'm just talking about the films, the plots, the characters, etc. do you think it's actually gotten worse or better in terms of how
0: exploitive films have gotten? I don't think it's gotten either worse or better it's just changed over time different things there are to exploit I mean it's easier to target a niche de- demographic nowadays than it was back then because you do have the home markets because if you tried to release a movie that oh, this is only gonna cater to a small portion of the population it would bomb in the theaters but it can make pretty decent money in the home market because the niche is there for it as far as like the content of the movies It's a lot more variety than it was back then.
2: I don't know. I mean, because, well, Child Bride was just straight up was an exploitation film, whereas something on the Spice Channel is just is porno. So I I think that uh, they're they're two separate things. They're two separate
1: entities. It's it's just I mean, that's a weird. Night of the Living Dead 68 versus World War Z. Both exploitation films, both about zombies. Why do you think Night of the Living Dead 68? works better as an exploitation film than world war z does because they can hold the camera world war z is just uh, is
2: garbage world war z was 200 okay, million any dollars zombie
1: film that's been made in the last decade versus night of the living dead 68
2: even even that i mean it, it's tough to, to draw the comparison i mean six uh the 68 night of the living dead is is a classic and the the newer zombie films especially if you're going to look at the more expensive ones they're just looked at from a different perspective because a lot of them are larger grandiose world traveling zombie films this is an outbreak that's happened everywhere in night of the living dead it was a much smaller intimate film and it was in black and white which blows people's minds nowadays you know that black and white ranks up there with subtitles is I'm not going to watch a movie with subtitles. I'm not going to watch I don't want to read a movie. Read a movie. Exactly. You know, and it's like open your mind just a little bit. It, I don't know. It, it's it's hard to draw a proper comparison.
0: Yes, it is difficult to draw a proper comparison. I mean, when Night of the Living Dead came out, there had been nothing like it. There was no precedent. It wasn't really cashing in off what was popular at the time. It was its own original thing and it became very popular because nobody had ever seen anything like it. World War Z, that's not an exploitation film. It's based on a book and was intended to be a blockbuster film that was zombies are popular, people are going to watch movies of zombies, and it was made following every horror trope. It was made to be a huge blockbuster and make the studio money. It wasn't intended to be an exploitation film, but because people had seen everything in that movie so many times already, that's why it was a huge commercial failure, aside from all the other production problems that it had.
1: Well, do you think then the exploitation genre, which to a degree it's always done what I'm about to bring up, but I think, at least I'm noticing it more. Do you think it cannibalizes itself more now than it used to? Do you think that, like you pointed out, Alex, Night of the Living Dead was so original because there was nothing like it before night of the living dead do you think that that we ha- we could have another night of the living dead come out today something that is so unprecedented and so original in execution that you that it just kicks off a new a, a new genre not even a subgenre. or do you think it's just cannibalizing the old ideas endlessly
0: There always are original things that come along and change what is, and it becomes popular and everybody else cashes in on it. The way Night of the Living Dead was new and original, like Blair Witch Project came out. Everybody found that new and original, and they are still copying it. There is the entire- Well, yeah, that's because people
1: who had never seen Cannibal Holocaust went, Oh my God, this is the most coolest concept ever, unless you've seen
0: Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah, but it's so many years had passed since Cannibal Holocaust, and it, it- it was applying the Cannibal Holocaust style to a different genre. It wasn't completely ripping off of Cannibal Holocaust. It's a totally different genre. Can- no pun intended to the
1: Cannibal Holocaust reference. Isn't that still cannibalizing itself? Just switching genres? Like, 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 That's what Joss Whedon likes to do, like with Firefly. Hey, look, it's a Western in space. Now it's something new. Just changing the genre isn't something new and original, though.
0: Yes, but you can combine two existing things to make something totally original. You know, okay, we're going to take this found footage style, and Cannibal Holocaust was not 100% found footage.
1: No, it had all the New York scenes, which I thought added a lot to actually making the film have some kind of concept of depth.
0: It did, and a lot of even the found footage scenes in Cannibal Holocaust were scripted versus the found footage style that Blair Witch did where they were making it up as they go along. Cannibal Holocaust, you see everything that happens versus Blair Witch Project, which had the very—you never actually see any of the horror in it. You know, it presented itself very original and created the found footage genre because hey, we can make, we can do that. People liked it, and it's cheap. And there are occasional decent found footage movies that come along that play with. Uh,
2: I think that there can be both. I think that um, there's still. Like, just whenever you think that something is not going to be original, all of a sudden something will come out of left field and be, holy crap, no one's ever done that before. That's amazing. And it'll completely kickstart a new genre, or it might just come out and, holy crap, this is really original, but for whatever reason, it, it, it didn't really take hold of the public's interest. But as far as combining two things, it's a whole chocolate peanut butter thing. It's like hey, we can take this and this and merge them together and make something unique and awesome in in a new way. I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. I don't think that there is a problem with that. I don't think that's ripping anything off or stealing from anybody. I think that that's taking two existing ideas, combining them and making something else entirely. I don't think that that is an issue. I don't I don't I mean, there are plenty of Awesome things that have come out over the years that really, if you look at the fundamentals of it, it's just A plus B equals C. And that's great. That's there. There's no problem with that. Why would you not want to try to infuse something like, okay, we're going to take Westerns and sci-fi and put them together and make something cool? You know, I mean, that's what Oblivion was. I mean, that was before serenity or before firefly rather
1: and but... and any and before oblivion was adventures of the galaxy rangers the mm-hmm. 65 episode cartoon from 86 exactly so i'm not saying that
2: it's the uh, that it's ever the first time that this has been done but it's the first time that this has been done in this particular way i don't
1: see an issue with that what about one of the most exploitative exploitation subgenres and i know that sounds like a double negative but piss off Rip-off exploitation. Isn't that almost a definition of an exploitation film, the ripoff film? You had all the Italian films in the late 70s and early 80s, and then you had the direct-to-video market in the early 90s, and now you've got the asylum and, ironically enough, the asylum knockoffs. Do you think that rip-off exploitation has changed in, for one, how blatant it is, and two, how much effort they actually put into them? Because to me, I see the ripoff exploitation movies of the 70s, they they weren't as exploitive. They were more exploiting a trend than exploiting a title and or specific franchise or story. I see The Asylum as just going, no, man, we're going to change just enough to not get sued. That's the way I look at it. I know you two are probably going to disagree. I, I, I don't know. I don't
2: see a problem with uh, with the whole thing of, of uh, the Asylum changing just enough to not get sued. Eh, that That's kind of become their, their niche. I mean, if, if that's what people want to see. Now, granted, they did get a lot of their start by duping people into uh, watching their stuff. But I think now, after a lot of their movies have gotten much more mainstream success, that people are aware of what they do and are a little more savvy so they're not going to just jump on top of oh well uh you know this, this war of the worlds clearly is not the same as this one so they're they're not going to get fooled like they used to so i i don't really think that uh what they're doing is much different from what a lot of the older exploitation films did where they would take the concept of jaws and then they would put out their version but it's an octopus right exactly it's it now it's an octopus now it's piranha now it's some other sea creature you know And or, or if you want to I, I know that's a stretch but i know they always say that uh grizzly is a ripoff of jaws and i know it's uh, thematically but it, it, but to me that's something entirely different it's a freaking bear
0: all right no it's ripoff exploitation yeah people have become a lot more savvy the asylum they don't really do the ripoff stuff as much as they used to and even then, they were pretty much just having fun with it. They're still exploitation films, they're still exploiting, but now they're not so much as duping people as much as they've carved out a niche of people that actually, like me, look forward to the Asylum version or the rip-off version of a movie more than the actual movie. That they know who their market is and they have a good time catering to that market.
1: Well, and then to round out tonight, do you think that exploitation, specifically the older exploitation, is somewhat being exploited even today when, like, I can't remember what computer company it was, but it was like, I think it was a Windows commercial, and they were watching the shark versus zombie scene from Zombie, and I, I saw another one. It was for another computer company. They were watching part of Switchblade Sisters. Do you think that we've come to the point where the exploitation that, like, I grew up on and Brad Jones grew up on is now... Kind of kitschy and cute. Do you think that is being exploited in the way that it's supposed to? Or do you think that is kind of missing the point of what using zombie to sell a computer is really aiming at?
0: I wouldn't say it's demoralizing it. It's having fun with the clip is what it is. You know, it's being kitschy with it, yes. But I wouldn't say it's demoralizing it.
1: But Alex, do you think most of the Windows 7 audience is even going to know what that is?
0: No, and that's the humor in it. It's like, they're not going to know what it is. They're going to think we actually shot a zombie making love to a shark.
2: Hey, I'm David. The other day I was hanging with my roommates and I was thinking, mowing down zombies is cool and all, but I kind of want to know what they're like on the inside. Then Windows 7 comes out, and now I can stream
1: internet stuff wirelessly from the PC to... there. The zombie forms a loving bond with his fellow man the Great White.
2: Suddenly, the dead don't seem so dead to me. I'm a PC, and Windows 7 was my idea. I don't know. It bugs me a little bit because it's something that's taken out of context, and they're they're making it be goofy. in
1: In the movie, it's awesome, and when and in the movie, him, it does not have the goofy narration of like a nature documentary, like they used it in the Windows 7 commercial too.
2: Exactly. Yeah, they're they're making it intentionally silly. I mean, there's, hey, they bought the rights to it, and and, I mean, they're using it in that way. Which just
1: made me think of something when you said that. I want to know what the executives were were doing when they were talking about needing to get the to license this one clip. I'm just wondering which one of them actually knew what this movie was. Probably the like somebody
2: somebody older. I'm gonna guess. Or or probably what happened was. Hey, uh, we're gonna do this commercial, and we need a really goofy clip to be playing. And they probably shot around the 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 room, and the one guy was, oh, well, when I was a kid, I watched this movie, and it was a zombie who punched a shark in the face.
1: Sharks are popular, and zombies are popular. And then, you know, they did the commercial. But do do you think it it is exploitative in the right way?
2: No, I think it's exploitative in a. In a commercial way,
1: they're they're literally using, and
2: figuratively exactly they're they're using something that was exploitation, turning it into a commercial. I think mean, it's, eh,
1: I don't know. I think it's it's a weird area. I exploit Alex Jowski all the time, but where can people find him?
0: At geekjuicemedia.com,
1: and I absolutely exploit in the proper way, Cecil T. Robot but it's in a way he likes. Absolutely, at goodbadflix.com, as well as geekjuicemedia.com. And if you people out there want to exploit me, you can go to 1201beyond.com or contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Have a good night, guys, and remember to check out Riff You a New One with Charlie McMullen and myself where we sit through Raiders of Atlantis. It's on 1201beyond.com. Check it out.